and they work at it. Um, you can just tell they work at it. Um, responsible in other areas of their lives, mm -hmm. finances, yeah. um, balancing careers with family and kids, good self-care. Uh, yeah. uh, can't have a good marriage unless both people are taking care of themselves. Yeah. If you've been married for a while, you, there's rough spots. And it, how, how a couple works through those rough spots really determines the next decade. It really determines that next season of time for the marriage. So, you know, if we work through a tough time, that's a good thing. Yeah. That's a marker. That's a place of history. You know, we work through that. We learn from it. We're not going back there. Um, we're moving forward. The couples that I work with, if they've got young children, I'll, I'll tell them, you guys have got to find uh, 20 minutes to a half hour each day where you're sitting face to face and can dialogue with each other. And they look at me like, are you flipping crazy? <laughs> Our household is chaos. Yep. You know, There's we're no changing. We got that. diapers. We got toddlers running around. We got teenagers yep. driving. Oh. Um, and yet, if they work at it, they can find that time. Hi, Journey. How y'all doing? Really great to be with every single one of you, especially if you're a guest today. Really honored by your presence, especially if you're a college student, too. Uh, welcome. And we're really, really privileged. I just want to talk to you college students for a moment and tell you how privileged we are to have you here and to be just a little part of everything that God's going to do over your college career, whether you're just starting or just about to finish or somewhere in the middle. We're really privileged to get to play a little part in what God has for you over these years. Welcome. Really glad you're here. I'm going to call an audible. Uh, this series used to be called Hot August Nights. I'm going to call it instead, though, Quick Grab a Parka. <laughs> right? Quick Grab a Parka. I want to take you back a couple of weeks in the series, but before we go there, I want to give a whole bunch of credit to a guy named Tim Keller, Andy Stanley, a guy named Mark Driscoll, a guy named Gary Smalley for some of their stuff that resourced my prep for this message this week. If you were around a couple of weeks ago, uh, that's great. If not, it's okay. I'm going to catch you up right now because I talked about how easy it is for any of us to catch love. Right? I'm not using the expression fall in love. I'm calling it catch love because it's about as easy to catch love as it is to catch a cold. All you have to have is a pulse to catch a cold. Right? All you have to do is be alive to catch a cold. That's the easy part. Catching love is the very easy part, but the much more difficult part is to keep that love alive and vibrant and growing over the course of an entire lifetime with the very same person that you started with, and that requires a whole bunch of intentionality, some work even. One way to be intentional with the person who you're romantically in love with is to simply, and I know you'll find this revolutionary, is to some, simply love each other. Right? You want to keep love alive, burning brightly, fanned into flame over the course of an entire lifetime. Just simply love each other. There's a qualifier to that, though. Love each other the same way that Jesus loves you. You want to keep love alive over an entire lifetime, you simply love each other the way that Jesus loves you in a verb kind of way. Love, I talked about a couple of weeks ago, isn't a noun. It's not just a thing that sits over there all like cold fish. Love is meant to be a verb. It's doing, it's alive, it's active, it's intentional, it's on the move, it's growing, it's pursuing, it's caring. It's all these 
I-N-G kinds of words, right, that all reflect action. That's the way Jesus loves you in a very verb sort of way. And the romantic kind of love that we show one another is supposed to reflect that exact same kind of love that Jesus verbs us with. All right, so we sort of built that as our foundation. We're then going to, today, look at this passage from the Bible. We don't normally look at this passage when we talk about romantic kinds of love, but we have to, I think, if we're gonna love each other romantically the way that Jesus loves us. Philippians chapter two, if you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn there. Philippians chapter two, if you don't have a text, it's okay, it'll be on the screens for you. It's this remarkably complex, remarkably simple text all at the same time. And we're gonna look at these verses simply through the lens of a romantic relationship. Through the lens of this really simple question, what does it look like to love, or to really love someone? So what do we know about Philippians chapter two, first of all? Who wrote Philippians chapter two? The whole book of Philippians for that matter. Paul, that's exactly right. He's this apostle, he's this church planner, he's this wild-eyed, wild-haired kingdom of God entrepreneur, this very catalytic, apostolic, fervent, passionate follower of Jesus Christ, who, by the way, was never married. We don't know anything really about his romantic life, but that doesn't matter. Because all he's doing is looking back over and on the life of Jesus Christ the savior of the world, the one who loves you and I so much that he died on the cross for us. To show us how much he loves us, he died on the cross, which by the way, is the ultimate love as a verb act. So here's the apostle Paul, he's looking back over and on Jesus' life, he's reflecting on Jesus' life, and then he writes down in Philippians chapter two, this is how Jesus loved and loves. So go love just like Jesus did. Paul's saying, this is exactly what it looks like to love someone even romantically very well. Philippians chapter two, verse three, this is right where Paul starts. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Show of hands right now, how many of you believe that if you just did what Paul says right there, that your romantic love relationship would be miles and miles ahead of where it is right now? Now, it doesn't have to be in a bad way. You just feel like if you just did this, it'd be even better. Yeah, hands all, you're, you're right. If you raised your hand, you'd be right. Good job. And there's this little something inside of that text that you might not have thought about before, and it's this, the very first part of that verse. Paul's addressing, interestingly, the issue of competition in your romantic love relationship. And you know what Paul's saying there? He's saying, do away with it. Do away with any and all competition in your, any element whatsoever of competition in your romantic love relationship. Stop competing with your romantic other. Stop competing with your romantic other. Stop trying to prove that you're smarter, better, faster. Stop trying to prove that he's dumber. Stop trying to prove that she's never right. She never get, just stop all of that. And uh, there's several hundred of you in this room and so seems appropriate that I would confess to you that I do this, that competition ugly thing with my wife Dana. And I wish I didn't. But here's how it often plays out. She'll be working on something. Often it's something with technology or something in some area that I feel particularly skilled at. And she'll get stumped. And so she'll say, honey, I could use your help. Would you come and help me? And I'll go, oh, honey. Right? 
Let me show you how incredibly amazing I am at that, you poor little thing who can't even come close to doing all the things that I do. So aren't I something? Right. And, and, okay, some of you are going like, Brian, I'll bet you don't say that. You're right. I don't say it with my mouth. But I promise you it's all over my attitude. It's all over the way that I talk to my wife in those moments, the, the tone even that I use in those moments. And so the Apostle Paul is getting out the hammer and nail, and he's nailing my sorry butt to the wall on this deal. Maybe some of you too. And he's saying, like, it's not a competition. Put down any and all competition. Remove it. This is the person you love. He or she is not a competitor of yours. Stop. Just stop competing. Now, I've had you do something like this before. I want to change it up a bit right now. Maybe you're here right now with uh, someone you're romantically involved with, right? Maybe you're dating or married to this person, or maybe you're thinking about dating this person who you're sitting next to right now, but you've just been way too scared to ask. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to right now turn, and I want you to look at them right now. Turn and actually, yeah, you're going to do this. Your romantic love interest who you're here with right now. I want you to look them very deep in the eye, and I want you to say these words. You are not my competitor. You are not my competitor. I'm going to ask you to keep going. You're my lover, not my competitor. You're my lover, not my competitor. You're welcome, by the way, those of you who are here with someone who you've been too scared to ask out. We just went like... (laughs) Miles, right there. Hope that was helpful. And Paul, he or she is not your competitor. It's just true. Check the competition at the door. Compete with your friends and neighbors and teammates and all that. Like, but not with your lover. Don't compete with your lover. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 goes on. Look what Paul says next. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Be humble, thinking of others, your romantic other, as better than yourself. And that right there is the big idea of the whole entirety of Philippians chapter 2. Be humble and think of others as better than yourself. Paul's saying, value others, especially your lover other, above yourself. And here's what that means. Every moment of every day, you go live out this reality that that person, your lover, is more important than you are. Every day, every decision, every interaction, you live this truth out that the other person is more important than you are. Your romantic lover, other, is more important than you are. I'll try it like this. In your mind's eye, visualize the very most important person you've ever been in the presence of. Maybe it's a president or maybe it's a king or maybe it's, you know, it doesn't matter. Just visualize that interaction in your mind's eye. A setting where you are not the most important person in the room. You got that in your mind's eye? Just a few weeks ago, let me show you mine. Uh, I was in this room with those guys. Uh, That's Senator Tester on the left there, Congressman Daines. We'll talk about the guy there with the hands in his pockets in a second. And then Senator Walsh over there on the right. And I just want to point out who doesn't belong in this picture. Well, the guy, and, and some of you right now have like a politically charged answer. You're like, let me tell you who doesn't belong in that picture. No, <laughs> that's not what I'm, no, no, no. The guy who doesn't belong in this picture is this guy right here. It's like these guys all went to school to know that when you take a photograph like this, you don't put your hands in your pockets. <laughs> I missed that class. And so here I am, 
dumb preacher with his hands in his pockets, right? I don't belong in that photo. What? This picture showed up in the mail the other day. I'm like, what in the world? Good heavens. So I was in this room a few weeks ago. That's our entire Montana congressional delegation. I need their help, really need their help getting our daughters home from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And so I met them this early morning breakfast with Montanans or whatever it's called at 7.30 in the morning. And I'm bending each of their ears about how they can help me and how I need their help. And in that room, there's a lot of other people. It's not just me and them. There's a whole bunch of other people in that room. And clearly, they're the most important people in that room. They just are. And they didn't make me feel that way, not at all. They listened. They were polite. They appeared to deeply care. But they're the important people. And, well, I'm not. Everybody that day in that room cared way more about Congressman Dane, Senator Tester, Senator Walsh than they did about who I was, what I was doing, or what I was even talking about. And it doesn't have anything to do with human value. Don't misunderstand me. It isn't at all like that. One of the things, as a matter of fact, that we as Journey Church value is this thing called the Imago Dei. That's the Latin term for the image of God himself placed inside of every single human being in the world, Imago By the way, Latin is a really powerful language, right? It takes two of these little tiny words, imago Dei, and synthesizes 16 English words, right? That I just, that's amazing, powerful language. And what the imago Dei means is that intrinsically you, along with every single other person in the world, doesn't matter, rich, poor, high, low, black, brown, white, Bozeman, Bali, janitor, president, high school dropout, PhD, it doesn't matter. Every single person in the world has inestimable value, inestimable worth in God's eyes. And therefore, in our eyes as a church community, we hold that value incredibly deeply. It affects and influences how we see every single person in our valley. Nobody is actually better than anybody, but there's times and there are occasions when we step into settings where people are more important than others based on what they've done while we're there, etc. And so you circle back around to what the Apostle Paul says. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And you lay that grid over our romantic love relationships. And Paul's telling us, look, from the time you wake up in the morning until you come home from work, until the moment you fall asleep at night, make every single one of your decisions from the vantage point of that other person being more important than you. Them, they are more important than you. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you've been following Jesus for a day or if you've been following Jesus for like 40 years. You go do that. You go try to do that. And you know what you're going to find? That it's one of the very most difficult things that you'll ever attempt to do in your life. You talk about aiming high. You talk about a high bar. You try to do that and you will every single day strive and struggle and, oh my gosh, I blew it. It's so incredibly difficult. And you know what Paul says in all of his grace and mercy? He says, I don't care how hard it is. You go do that. And you go do that because that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. It's exactly how Jesus Christ loved and loves you. You go do that. It's the very essence of love being a verb. You treat your lover in the way that communicates to them that they are more valuable, more important than you are. They are. My wife, Dan, and I, we celebrated our 14th anniversary just this past week. 
wasn't much of a celebration at all. She's on the other side of the planet in the Democratic Republic of Congo right now. By the way, just for information's sake, last year we spent our 13th anniversary together in the Congo. This year she's there and I'm here. So I feel really good that we might be able to be all together for our anniversary next year, like here where we're supposed to be. There's a pretty good chance, like maybe like third time's a charm or something like that. But on our anniversary this week, she's not here. That meant then I had some time to reflect. And as I was reflecting back on our 15 years together, 14 married years, almost a year of dating, I thought about our marriage in these terms. Maybe you've thought these if you're a married person. Marriage is awesome, marriage is costly, and marriage is not for everyone. Ever thought that? Marriage is awesome, marriage is costly, and marriage is not for everyone. And that's honestly sort of the Bible's take on the whole marriage deal, right? It's awesome, and it's costly, and it's not for everyone. Being in love is absolutely one of the most wonderful things in the entire world. And like I said before, it's so easy to catch love. It's also one of the most difficult things in the world to stay in love over the long haul because loving well over a whole lifetime doesn't just happen passively. You can't just throw it on cruise control and call love good. Loving someone well over the long haul isn't a natural, easy thing for self-centered, self-oriented creatures like we human beings. It takes effort and intentionality, which is why Paul says what he says in verse 4. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. That means in your romantic relationship, Paul's saying, it can't all just be about the things that you're interested in. The street has to go both ways. You focus, as a matter of fact, on things that are interesting to them. And that's difficult for us. Because we're more or less interested in the things that we're interested in. People aren't naturally interested in the things that other people are interested in. But you've got to get there. Romantic love is kindled and kept burning brightly by our getting there. And yeah, it means, here's what it means. It means that you're going absolutely to spend time doing things, watching things, going places that used to hold absolutely no interest to you whatsoever before you flip this switch on. Some of you men, you might end up, you might end up at a quilt show. Swallow hard. Some of you men might end up in a book club. Oh my gosh. We'll let you keep your man card, I promise. Some of you women, you might end up spending hours in a drift boat, wading a river with a fly rod in your hand, or out on a golf course. Don't sound so excited. And that's okay. Because your romantic love, see, when you express interest in what your lover other is interested in, your romantic love will be exponentially increased because of it. Something happens in us when the one we romantically love takes an interest in the things that we're interested in. And it doesn't mean, no, it doesn't mean that he's going to go to every single quilt show. Oh my gosh, no. Or it doesn't mean that she's going to fish every river or golf, every course with you, whatever your thing may be. You can still have your space in those things. But to know that they're interested, to know that they care about this thing that you're so incredibly passionate about is a very powerful aphrodisiac. You go demonstrate an interest in things that are interesting to your partner, even though they're not necessarily interesting to you. Now, here's a freebie, no charge for this. You might be sitting in this room today, you might be in the hearing of my voice today, 
and you might be dating or engaged. And right now, you're sitting there thinking, well, if I have to be interested in that or that or that, then I don't think I want to get married. Word of advice. If that's you, I'd suggest when we're done in here, you go grab, it'll be after 12, an adult beverage with that person, your lover, other. It doesn't have to be an adult beverage. It could be. And you put the brakes. If that's you, you put the brakes on your romantic love relationship. You put the brakes on now before you get too far down the tracks because honestly, here's the deal. It just won't work if you don't at all want to be interested in the things that they're interested in. It will not work. Paul says, take an interest in their stuff. It won't work otherwise. Pump the brakes hard now. If you're not, if you can't be, if you don't want to be, if you have no plan to ever be, pump the brakes now and save yourself years and years of heartache and heartbreak and just save it. The whole premise of your romantic love relationship, see, is that you would actually love each other in the exact same way that Jesus loved and loves you. He is our model. He's our example. He's the one we're seeking to emulate every single day. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had In your romantic love relationship, you and I, as we come into these relationships, we are to come into it the exact same way that the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, approaches his relationship with us. And by the way, Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 is a little something called a command. It's a command laid over on top of all of us. It's a command. There's no squirming out of it. There's no excusing it. You don't get to say, well, Brian, you just don't understand. You don't know me. You don't know the one I love. She's just so, he's just so, so, so. No, so what? It's a blanket command, no matter what. Paul's saying you, in your romantic love relationship, you put on these sunglasses and you filter every last thing in your relationship through this grid of the very same attitude that Christ Jesus had and has with you. Everything. And the question then is this, what's the defining trait of Jesus' attitude that he had and has? Philippians chapter 2 verse Six, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. It didn't matter which room Jesus Christ was in, guess what? He was always the most important person in the room. He's God, which means it didn't matter if there were kings or rulers, entire congressional delegations, present, past, future presidents, it doesn't matter. Jesus is, was, and will always be the most important person in every single room ever. And you know what? He never one time used his God powers for his own benefit. He never one time used his God powers for his own benefit. He just didn't. Jesus never ever walked into a room and went like, my chair, move. Jesus never ever walked into a room and was like, man, I'm starving, clapped his hands and like platters of food appeared. No. Jesus never walked into a room and went like, I'm God, give me, give me, give me. He never did that. He had all the power. He was always the most important person in the room. He never leveraged that for him ever, and he could have. He had absolutely every right to, but he never pressed the I'm God, that was easy button. Didn't do it. Never used his power to his advantage. 
And so here's the application for us in our romantic love relationships. That's exactly how we're to romantically love one another. That's exactly how we're to romantically love one another. You leave behind the fact that you're the man, like leave it behind. You leave behind the fact that you're the woman, like you leave that behind. You leave behind the fact that you had a hard day, a hard night, the kids were off the rails, that you have a right, that you deserve, that you, 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 you. Paul says, nah-uh. Stop right there. Don't do it. And you don't do it because Jesus didn't do it. You don't do it because Jesus doesn't ever do it. And instead, Paul says, you go focus on giving your life away for and to your romantic other. Because that's what Jesus did. You give your life away for and to your romantic other. That's Jesus Christ. That's what he does. That's what he did. He took everything that was rightfully his, everything he deserves, his rights, his rank. And if you read on in Philippians chapter 2, it actually says he emptied himself of all of that. Dump it all out. And that's how we're to live in our romantic love relationships. I've told you a few times now that Dana and I have been married for 14 years. That's nothing. That's nothing, by the way. We're newbies, still very much newbies at this marriage thing. But you go talk to couples who've been married something spectacular like 30 or 40 or 50 or even 60 years. They're around here, by the way. There's some of them around here. And you ask them, how have you done it? And they'll say, well, that's exactly how I've done it. We've learned how to empty ourselves for the sake of the other person every single moment of every single day. And it's in the model of Jesus Christ. It's the exact same thing that he did for you, the exact same thing he did for me, and he emptied himself so much and so far that he became obedient even to death on a cross for you, for all of humanity. And he models for us incredibly well just how it's supposed to go in our romantic love relationships. He made you a priority over him. Ever thought about it like that? Jesus made you a priority over him. He chose to solve your and my sin problem before he ever laid claim to his rights, his power, his authority, his whatever. And for us, the kind of romantic love relationship that we want to have over an entire lifetime looks exactly the same. I say no to me and I say yes to the other person in the same way that your Savior Jesus Christ did for you. That's it. That's it. And can you just imagine with me for a moment what would be different in your romantic love relationship if you started treating your romantic other like they are the very most important person in the world. Can you even imagine? They are the very most important person in the world. And can you imagine how incredibly in love you would be? Can you imagine the fireworks, if you want to call them that. Can you imagine the fun? Can you imagine the joy? Now, sure, it's not always going to be perfect because, well, 
you're a person and they're a person and sometimes people, what, bump into each other and rub up against each other. And I'm not talking about like in the good kind of rub up against each other. I'm talking about like, the, you know, we collide sometimes. That's next week, by the way, sex next week. But at the end of the day, it's all about demonstrating unconditional love to one another. Unconditional love to one another. They are the most important person in the world to me, and I am the most important person in the world to them. And if you'll live that out, that's a game changer. It's an absolute game changer, and that is the glue that holds a marriage together for a lifetime. And Paul says, go live like that. Go live like that. I invite you to take your stuff and set it aside if you would, and I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. You can move into a time of prayer and reflection with the Lord if you would. And I don't have any doubt whatsoever that the Lord's downloading stuff to every single one of us in this room from Philippians chapter 2 and how it affects or should affect or could affect or would affect our romantic love relationships. And so I just urge you in this quiet to just ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that you're saying to me? You probably already know. And just hear him out. Maybe your list is short, maybe your list is long, it doesn't matter. God, what is it that you have to say to me about this? And then when you've kind of got that cemented what it is that he's saying to you what it is that God's saying to you would you just move over to the other side of the equation which is now God what do you want me to do about it now God what's my assignment now God what changes in my romantic love relationship And then it's at that point right there that the Lord might want to cement a decision for you. Where he's asking you to drive a stake deep into the ground and tie up to it and just go, I'm going to do that. They are the most important person in the world to me. And some of you right now, that's your point of action right there. I need my romantic other to be the most important person in the world to me every single day. And some of you, you're like freaking out about that because you're like, oh my gosh. And you're right, that's an oh my gosh decision right there. Loaded with risk. But think about it like this. Jesus took that exact same risk with us. 
And remember, his risk was going to cost him his life. Jesus didn't have any assurances that the whole world was going to come flocking to him. As a matter of fact, they haven't, in case you haven't noticed. But he still took the risk, and he still says the risk is worth it. Take the risk. You are the most important person in the world to me. And if that's your point of action today, you should tell your romantic other and just say, look, I don't care what you do with this, but here's how I'm going to live going forward. And I'm going to mess up once in a while and I'm not going to get it right. And, but but this, is my, this is my new posture with you. Every moment, every decision, every point of interaction, you are the most important person in the world to me. And maybe you're someone and you're here today and for you all of this hinges on you coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're someone that you You've been like dating Jesus. You've been kind of like nibbling around the edges, kicking the tires of faith, whatever you want to call it. But maybe today Jesus has been knocking hard on the door of your heart saying, you know, the real game changer is when you come home to me, to the relationship I made you for. The relationship I gave my life on the cross to give you. And if that's you, you can take the really bold step of trusting Christ with your whole heart, your whole life. You can cross the line of faith in Jesus by praying with me right now. I invite you, if that's you, to pray with me. Just say, Jesus, yeah, I got a sin problem, pretty serious one as a matter of fact, and you're my only solution. I need you, Jesus. I need your forgiveness, and I need your grace, and I need your life. I need your Holy Spirit, Jesus, to empower how it is that you've asked me to live in relationship with every person in my life. I can't do it alone. My attempts have really, sadly, just made quite a mess. And so, Jesus, here I am. Here's my heart, my life, my whole being. You're everything I need, Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. You're everything I need. And by the way, Jesus, I am so incredibly grateful for your death on the cross for me. Thank you so much for paying my price. Thank you so much for rising from the dead for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Here's my life. And if you're someone who crossed the line of faith just then, that's the most significant decision of your whole life so weighty as a matter of fact that we invite people around here to tell us when they make that decision. This is a private deal. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. If you prayed with me just then to cross the line of faith in Jesus, to come home to him, to yield your life to him, would you just be really brave right now and slip your hand up and lock eyes with me? You can do that right now. And just let me agree with you. Yeah, buddy, right here. Absolutely. Keep them up and make sure I see you. Would you please? Yeah, way to go. And way to go. Yes, absolutely. And here, yeah, way to go. And in the back, right there. Yes. Absolutely. You, sir. Yes, absolutely. Yes, way to go. 
Over here, you, yeah, way to go, bud. Jesus, we praise you so much for these who are crossing the line of faith in you. We praise you and thank you for everything that you've done in their lives that brings them to this moment, Jesus. This wasn't just a now thing. This has been a time eternal thing. You've been in pursuit and you've been drawing and you've been loving these people. And we thank you so much that it's culminated in this moment. Praise you, Jesus. And Jesus, we're so grateful for this mysterious institution called marriage. And how you designed us, one man, one woman, for one lifetime. And and God, how you designed our marriage relationship, our marriage love relationship, our romantic love relationships to point to you, to reflect you to the world. And Jesus, forgive us because sometimes they don't. Oftentimes they haven't, and we're so sorry. Forgive us for getting it wrong so much of the time. But hear us, Jesus, please, not dwelling on the past, but turning the page, straining for what is ahead, which is a romantic love relationship that's cast in your very love for us. Jesus, in the image of you pursuing us, in the image of our interest above your interest, Jesus. They are the most important person in the world. That's you, and that's what you're doing, and we pray, Jesus, that you would continue to bear that out in our lives, impassion us by the power of your Holy Spirit when we're tired, when we don't think we can do it because we've got a spouse who doesn't give a rip. Help us dig in and help us not give up and help us not waver and help us please, Jesus, continue to reflect you. They are the most important person in the world to me. Thank you for doing that for us, Jesus. Thank you so much.